Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Yanis Pantelidis, Director of Doctoral Studies at Brighton University and all-round hospitality warrior. Coming up on today's show... Yanis reveals how he's been coping with lockdown. My doctor told me that I have to drink a bottle of Bells every day. Phil prepares for war. I've got my, my fist on my heart. Yes. And I am ready for battle. And Yanis tells us what type of doctor he is. If you break your arm, if you break your leg, I will not be able to cure it, but I can philosophize about it. All that and so much more as Yanis talks us through his story and journey to date. This is a chat brimming with humour and stories, but in amongst all that, there's also loads of fantastic content on the impact academia can have on industry. A huge thank you to Yanis for chatting with such authenticity. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to another edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today I'm super excited as today's guest reinforces my point that you really can move in many directions in this industry, including academia. Oh. I'm delighted to welcome Jonas uh, Pantelidis, and I think I've probably mispronounced your name straight away. That is one of the best efforts I have heard in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, very good. <laughs> no, no, actually it was really good. It was really good. It's, it's Just call me Yanis, Phil. Yanis will Yanis, very yeah. good. Right, I'll, I'll short, cement that in my brain right now. Short version, yeah. So how are you doing? I, I'm doing really well, I think. I mean, inside of, somewhere in, in my brain, I'm doing very, very well. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough, tough uh, season, but it is the Christmas season. So, you know, no matter what happens, we take a look at the street and we look at the Christmas lights and, and, and we're happy inside i have to say from my i mean we've not known each other very long mm. in fact you i think you responded to to listening to one of my podcasts with a a, a, a deep night rant on twitter oh yeah um <laughs> about hospitalers and um and i think we both really connected with each other because i think we both view ourselves as something of of hospitality warriors yeah you kind of you, what you were alluding to. You said something. I can't remember the exact words, but but the 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 keyword that that kind of got me uh, reflect. It was more of a deep reflection rather than a deep rant. Was the word warrior? And uh, yeah, and in my in my working life, I've met quite a few of those warriors. And uh, in more recent years, I had a bit of a, of an interest in in hospitalers, as in the medieval. Order of Knights, which is still, you know, the, whatever they're called now, they exist in Malta and they don't have the swords anymore. But where, right. the reason why I got interested in them is because they had a castle on the island where I come from, the island of Leros, and they were they were prevalent in in Rhodes after they were kind of ousted from the Constantinopolis and those areas. Today is called Istanbul, and and um, basically they looked after the sick. And they look at after uh, protected the travelers. That was their job, yeah. And it, that's hospital, hospitalers, and then hospitality. Yeah. So I, I I was convinced that we in hospitality, because hospitality and hospitals share the same Latin root of the word, uh, we do the same. And of course, COVID came and proved it because now people realize hospitality is not just about going out and having a coffee or or going and sleeping in a hotel room. It's it's about your well being. It's about your mental health. 
you know, those people that work in this industry look after you and they put yeah. a, a lot of emotional labor to, to make sure you have a good time. So, yeah, yeah. we are hospitalers, and I say with one L, so we distinguish ourselves from the medieval order of knights, uh, but we are warriors. Yeah, I, well, I, I'm currently, I've got my, my fist on my heart. Yes. And I am ready for battle. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> You're also um, actually the very first doctor that I've had on the show. All right. Uh, about that, about that. If you break mm. your arm, if you break your leg, I will not be able to cure it, but I can philosophize about it <laughs> and whether it's truly broken. <laughs> very good. I like that. I like that. Um, great. Well, let's, before we get into kind of who you are and what you're all about now, let's let's go all the way back to the the beginning okay. of your your career how did you get into to hospitality in the first place and, and kind of just talk us through how you got to where you are now i i am so tempted to say in the beginning there was chaos <laughs> <laughs> and, no, but, but that still remains <laughs> but that still remains that's that's yeah. how my brain is no i um i remember and i always struggle to remember whether i was 11 the very first memory I've got of hospitality is probably seven years of age, lifting bricks to build the family hotel. Yeah, okay. I was carrying bricks, uh, but the, I wasn't getting paid for that. And it wasn't child labor. I was enjoying it. And for me, it was like a game. And I think yeah. my, my parents enjoyed watching it. But the first age I remember getting paid was either 11 or 12. And uh, I think it was 11. I was working for my godfather's restaurant on the island of Leros. And okay. the, the restaurant still exists today. If you're ever in Leros and you go to Blefuti, my godparents are still there and my cousin is running the restaurant and it's called Arthur. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's, well, that's it's, brilliant. That, I mean, that's kind of a real life success story right there. It's it's just amazing that it's still there. And I, whenever I visit the island, I always go and see them and, and wonderful memories there. And, and uh, you know, I was a busboy and cleaning tables and chairs and, and uh you know, having fun really and, and getting a little bit of pocket money and uh, being able to do with it whatever I liked. I had my independence, which was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and then later, I guess, got involved with the family business, the hotel. And then fast forward in 94, I think it was, I, I studied at a private hotel school in Athens called Alpine. And uh, this this had a, a collaboration with a Swiss school, hotel school called IHTTI, which still exists, and Alpine also exists. And uh, in the last year, we had to go and defend our project and our work in, in Switzerland. So Swiss hotel school style, studied hotel management. In 96, in, in the meantime, I was working in, I was I was started traveling at that time, and I I worked for Glen Eagles Hotel. Nice. <laughs> uh, that was a wonderful experience. And uh, gosh, I remember when I, that was the first time I ever left Greece, by the way. Uh, right. Well, that's not a bad start. Well, it was because I mixed up the trains. <laughs> right. So instead of getting the train for Achterarder, did I pronounce that all right? Yeah, not bad. Not ah. bad, yeah. You know, Torres Endenbra and then after Arder, and um, I messed that up. And I told the guy on the train in Victoria, which to me looked like, what is going on here? Because it was, uh, A, I was scared in the plane. Am I in the right lane? Then I got to the train and I said to the guy, is this going to, to Torres Endenbra? He said, yes, but it was going to Perth. Okay. So so we, we passed Endenbra and, and there was a lovely lady sitting with me. And I said, oh, that looks nice. And she said, yeah, that's Endenbra. And I'm like, oh, oh. 
And and when the the the, the uh, ticket inspector came, he said to me, "Don't worry, get off. I won't charge you more, but get off at Perth, and then you can make your way back." By the time I got to Perth, I was so tired, and I, I went to a taxi and I said, "How much would it cost me to to get me to the Glen Eagles Hotel?" And he said, "Glen Eagles," <laughs> and he told me the price, which was all the money I had in my pocket. Right. <laughs> it was crazy expensive, but I paid it because I was so tired. And he got me there, and the the concierge turns up because he took me through the guest's entrance in the kilt and the, what do you call the little knife, the little dagger in the sock? The skin-do. The skin-do. So he yeah. comes with the skin-do and he says, all right, young lad, uh, I'll, I'll help you with that. And I said, no, 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 thank you. And, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. And he was a giant of a man. So I was scared I was going to get knifed. <laughs> and I let him do what, and he takes me to the reception. And I say, but I'm a member of staff. And he froze and he was so angry at me. And then receptionists were angry at me because <laughs> I used the wrong entrance. Uh, right, right. But that was that was the only uh, scary moment. And, and after that, I had the most wonderful uh, memories from, from Glenn Eagles, including my supervisor at the bar. But maybe that's another story for another time. <laughs> but, but no, no. If there's a story, tell us. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's... Anyway, okay, here it goes, right? So my, okay. my first... always edit it out. Edit it out if it's not... But he, this, this guy is, is... I don't know, maybe he was in his 55, 58. Remember, I'm, I'm 17 or I haven't turned 18 just yet. So yep. I wasn't supposed to be in the bar. So they, they made some mix up. But that's fine. One month later, I'm, I'm legal. But I'm in the bar and he says, my doctor told me that I have to drink a bottle of Bells every day. And I'm like, all right. And he said, so now that you're here, you have to try all the whiskeys and you have to try all the different beers and ales. So my first day at work was, was tasting these shots. And I'm thinking, okay, this is how they do it in Scotland. <laughs> I was all right. I mean, there's, there's no accounting for experience, is there? I was all right. But then later I started, you know, suspecting that maybe, I think his name, I won't say his name just in case he's still around. Uh, but I think, you know, he had a problem. I, I realized later. And, you know, well, I, had to I think if you're, if you're drinking a bottle of Bells a day, I think that's I, safe to say. I don't know if he was taking the piss. I don't know if he was saying it really. I mean, I, I sensed the problem and I tried to help, but... You know, imagine now a 70, just about to turn 18 year old, being told you got to try all these, you know, morning shift as well. Try wow. all these. Yeah. Uh, and we had the full classic mold collection. Uh, at the time, I think uh, it was owned, the Glen Eagles was owned by a company. You weren't allowed to buy all the other independent whiskeys, thank God. So I didn't have to taste too many. And I had the, and the beers they had, they also there was some stipulation where they had to buy from specific breweries. So it wasn't limited to a certain extent. Yeah. So uh, it was a good tasting session. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so, how did uh, how did you develop from there? Well, I I, I worked in Germany. I traveled all all around the Europe. Trying the the idea was that I would gain experience in different departments across Europe, and uh, and then go back and run the family business properly and expand it. You know. To, into a proper, <laughs> but what happened was, I landed in, in on this small island called the UK, and, yeah. and and I found myself in London, and in '96 we started a restaurant with my brother, so I, I missed that part. So we started a restaurant with my brother, which still is running and is an award-winning restaurant now on the island of Lerus. Okay, 
And I was the manager. He's the chef, and he still is the chef. And uh, I'm not the manager any longer. He he uh, yeah. he has a wonderful. So you're managing from distance. Well, he has a wonderful wife who, who's also in the trade, and she's uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful uh, front of house uh, manager. But I found myself in London because the idea was I really wanted to do a master's degree, and uh, I thought. I don't want my parents to to be financially burdened. I was always a rebel. And even though my parents kept on saying, but no, we'll pay it and you'll do it for a year and you'll be back. And I said, no, no, I'll go for five years, work uh, full time and do the master's part time. And uh, and so I did. And I got a part time master's at the University of Surrey. And I was working early on. I worked for Caledonian Club, which is another Scottish. You know, my, my Scottish roots are strong. And, yeah, uh, aren't they just? Do you know, I, did I also learn somewhere that the the bagpipes actually originate from Greece? Yes, yes. We call it Zambuna. In where I come from, we have the on the island, we have the exact same basic early archaic form of the bagpipe. Uh, right. It's called a, a Zambuna, where, you know, the, the, the skin of the animal. And, and we also have the little animal, the haggis, which, which probably has, in Scotland, doesn't exist anymore. So you have to import them from places like mine, where they... They run upwards with smaller legs on the one side. You, you know, you got to take them. That's right. Yeah, That's no, it, no. isn't it? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's uh, if they've got a, a longer left leg, yeah. they, it means they can run around the mountain yeah. clockwise faster. That's and if it. it's a longer right and, leg, and, then exactly the opposite. And they're roaming free on the island of Leros. And, and <laughs> I know you hunt them really. And, you know, somebody has to do something about that in Scotland where there's, there's very few haggis running around anymore. But uh, <laughs> the point need a, a reintroduction program. That's what we need to. I'm to do. I'm I'm happy to. I'm, you know, I'll bring my people. You bring your people. We'll we'll get it worked out. Let's get it done. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Caledonian Club. Oh my gosh! You just remind me of some great, great people, great colleagues, uh, lovely, lots of Scottish uh, staff there, and all of them great characters. And after that, I worked for Radio Sun Edwardian Hotels, and that was a great experience. And meanwhile, I was doing this master's part-time at the um, University of Surrey. So I got myself a job as a night manager at the Berkshire in, in London, Berkshire Hotel, yep. which was a Radio Sun Edwardian. And I used to travel from London in the mornings. I'd, I'd work a seven-hour shift night, and then I'd find myself in classes at the University of Surrey. And at one point, I, I remember fainting. And Professor David Irie <laughs> bring me water, <laughs> and and he he what he didn't remember the story. I had to tell him a few years back, and he he sort of he vaguely remembered it. Where he was for a moment, he was a nurse, and his PhD became useful as a doctor <laughs> by, right. by bringing me some water. <laughs> uh, yeah. but it was you know it was me proving to myself I can do it. It was me proving to myself I can be independent, I guess, and also learning. From some very very good managers, the 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 um, the trade, and I was going to go back. And um, as I was preparing my CV after the five years have ended, I have gained enough experience uh, in every single department I could think of in hotels. And um, I'm about to go back uh, to Greece. And I've already started some pre-interviewing sort of stages with hotels in Greece. Yeah. The last year I worked as a as a uh, lecturer because I had my master's in, in tourism and hospitality education from Surrey because I enjoyed so much training other people. Uh, as night manager, I was getting sent, suddenly I found myself getting all these night managers to be trained. 
because nobody nobody knew how to calculate well not nobody but few people knew how to calculate rev par and, and what have you when fidelia used to just go down and it used to go down technology those days used to go down very often so i used to get yeah, yeah it was just yeah, and when you know when Fidelio is down, how do you do the reporting? So they used to call uh, Yanis. I had um, a time as night manager on a cruise ship. Ah, and one, if you contemplate what you're dealing with on a cruise ship, or certainly the one that I was on, it was what P and O used to call an adults only ship, and I definitely don't mean that in the 1830 <laughs> club way. It was it was basically full of retirees. Let's call them that. Yeah, uh, who were generally in bed before ten thirty. Hmm. So you know there was no nightclub activity, there was no late night alcohol problems or or anything like that. So the the only drama that we were waiting for was well noises in cabins because that's inevitable on a cruise ship. Things creak, otherwise they break. Yeah, or the the computer system going down, which you know you you kind of got to a point where you were craving. Right, if I press this button, this yeah. is the moment. Does it does it run or does it not? And then you press it and it doesn't run and you go, excellent, I've got something to do for the next four hours. <laughs> but anyway, that's a, a different story. Well, you are... yeah, I, I get you on the uh, the fact that uh, computers back then were a, a little bit more gnarly yeah. than they are these yeah. days. I mean, I, I guess I was, I would say I was great that month, but I was okay. So I could, I could do, you know, I could do basic uh, calculations. I could still run the reports manually. You know, do to average room rates and rev pars and all of that was you know, to me it sounded something simple enough. So people used to call me from other hotels. Those days you you could collaborate with other hotels. You used to call them to find out how many rooms they've got left, the the rates. They, you know, there was the legislation that was a little bit more flexible back then. And yeah. um, you know, you were a big family and you were friendly with night managers next door and and people would call you. And and then of course Redstone and Julian at the time had a number of hotels. So other night managers would call me. And, and lo and behold, I think at some point, the room's revenue director, somebody told him, this guy, you know, he knows his stuff, sent him your night managers to be trained. And so he did. And uh, and I got the bag of training other people through that. Yeah. And uh, I, I worked for a, for a year uh, at London Hotel School, which was, a, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was a, a tiny little operation which, which taught hospitality management. And I just loved, I got the bag of, of teaching and so that's that's where that no it wasn't came that period it was it that was another bit for me to to get into every department of hotel and the one department I hadn't done was training so I I felt I had now everything I needed to go back and uh, and I, I had these pre-interviews organized I started getting this in Greece is not what you know but it's who you know quite often and I think it's still it's still a lot of it like that so I, you know I was getting this kind of reactions of yeah we want you but you don't know the market. And I was going for training manager's job. Right. And I'm like, what market? I'm going to train your staff. So, so you could mm. see they were, you know, trying to, to bring the salary down whichever way they could. And it was a bit unprofessional. I was getting, you know, oh, you're a good kid. And we know you're from Laris and I know the island and good people come from that island. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, haven't I proved myself enough? You know, at, at, 20, yeah. at 24, and this is where the wonderful world of, of opportunity in the UK. Doing the job at, as a night manager and training other people, not only got the attention of the other rooms uh, director, but he, he came to me and he said, Yanis, I want you to run this, this small company we have called Centre Stage. 
and I want you to be the reservations manager, but actually you'll be the general manager of it. And I'm like, oh, what does what does it do? And he said, you know, you you'll do you'll book our best hotel rooms of our five star and four star deluxe hotels, and you'll you combine them with theater tickets and and you'll combine them with chocolate and champagne, and you know we'll go for the luxury market. I said, I'm on, and that was before the hotel school, before the teaching, and I and I did that as well. Like that was a effectively it was registered as a tour operator, so I ran that, and it was a great experience. And and I got so many free theater tickets. All my friends, you know, I watched the uh, the Lion King when it first came out, and the first sit I could, you know, <laughs> I could smell the actors. It was wow. Like well, you, you need to in that in that show. I've I've watched that show from from up in the gods yeah. seats. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. God, you need binoculars on top of the binoculars. I tell you. To, to, to see the stage, it's uh, it's a phenomenal theatre, though. Oh no, it hooked me. All the, all all of the productions that year, I worked one year in that job, and that for one year I got I got to watch because they used to invite also. They used to give you free tickets for the opening night because they wanted the agents, and I was an agent selling theatre tickets, so they wanted to promote. Yeah, so Chicago, Lion King, you know, Blood Brothers, yeah. Cats, you name it. It was just just amazing, and I used to get so many three tickets I give to my staff and and then they would still be left over. So I'd say to my staff, well, get some extra and give it to your friends. I'd give to some extra friends. So we we were really looked after, you know, it was really good fun. Yeah. Then London Hotel School. So um I'm I now have finished a year with London Hotel School and I'm and I'm about to go home and I booked my tickets. There is one job at the University of Surrey where I did my masters. And because I'm getting all this negative sort of not, not great feedback from Greece for the interviews I've organized, it, it something doesn't feel right. So I said, you know what? Those were the days where they started uh, getting applications online. I had everything ready because industry was doing them online anyway. You know, you could just send your CV. Uh, universities had just started doing that online. So I said, you know, I'll just send a CV. I have no chance. The interview was meant to be in July, shortlisting an interview in July, plenty of time. I fly out on the 7th of September, I think it was. And, um, you know, July comes and passes. And, of course, I'm not shortlisted. Or so I thought. Right. Because in the last few weeks of August, I get an email from University of Surrey saying, um, we would like you to come for an interview on the 7th of September at uh, something like 3, 4 p.m. Meanwhile, my flight is 6 p.m., 7 p.m., something like that. And I'm like, um, I'd love to, but I thought, this was happening in July, and I've got a flight mm. on the 7th. And they say, really, really sorry. We had two adverts. Somebody made a mistake and put another another advert in another magazine. We have to honor the later date. Therefore, uh, you have to be here on the 7th. I said, oh, um, is there anything you can do? Can you change the date? They said, no, the panel, there was a panel of seven, eight professors and the school manager. And when I heard that, my, my heart sank. I've never had a panel more than two people. I had a yeah. panel of eight uh, to be interviewed and present to. And they the best they could do is bring it to the morning of that day. So in the morning, I have the interview. Uh, they say present. And of course, I, I'm always thinking I will never get this job. I'm not good enough. So let's have some fun. Me being me. So I did. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the well, next... it's, it's all part of the, the experience and rich tapestry of life. Yeah, yeah. And because I think I was so chilled about it, thinking I will never get it. So let's, you know, let's tell these guys. How, and, uh, and they said, uh, prepare a presentation about hot plate management. You know, the, the hot plate in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. So I did my research and I presented, you know, what I thought would be an innovative way of how I would do hot plate management with with all the trimmings. 
and presented that to them. And the next thing I know, at about 3.30, 4 o'clock, the same day, I get a phone call and said, uh, you got the job, would like you to start. And, and I think I booked myself from the 7th of, of September till the end of September, I had booked holiday since I could. I had no job. You know, I could, yeah. I could go. And then I was going to come back and bring all my other stuff. I had given up my house. My, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, was very kind enough to, to put me up for a few days and keep some of my uh, luggage. And, uh, you know, I'm now thinking, oh, oh, oh um, I've been offered a job. So I say, okay. And I say, how much, you know, what's the package? And they, you know how they advertise a range. So they offered me the lowest end of the range. And I said, of course, yeah, yeah. You know, that's how they start the negotiation. So I said, well, thank you very much. If it's not at the, at the highest, at the, very far, at the very fall of the scale, I'm not interested. And me thinking I'm going back to Greece to run the family business, right? I have nothing to yeah. lose. So they come back at five o'clock saying, you know, we spoke to the hotel manager and they moved the budget a little bit and you got it. You got what you want. And and the audacity of me, instead of saying, thank you so much, I'm thinking in the back of my head, I've told my mother, my father are look, looking, you know, forward me coming back home eventually. So I'm thinking, ah, I got to tell my parents this and see what they make of it. Yeah. And well, uh, that's actually quite a sensible approach. Well, instead of saying to these guys, I'll call you back in an hour, I say, all right, I'll, I'll call you back from Athens tomorrow and let you know of my decision. <laughs> and, 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 and it wasn't even you know, the arrogance of this guy. I would never hire me, you know. <laughs> and you're thinking, ah, oh, he doesn't bloody want this. Yeah, that's what I'd be thinking. But yeah. for whatever reason, and I don't know, they were patient with me. I, I went, called to my parents. My mother gave me not just her blessing. She said, you'd be crazy if you don't take it. Right. My father, my father was, ah, don't worry about the hotel. We'll, we'll be fine. And, um, and neither, neither of them were saying this with uh, tears in their eyes. At the yeah. Time. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> why, why, why are you abandoning me? Have you watched the, the big, <laughs> the big Greek fat wedding? Where the father is telling this, uh, his daughter is going to get married. You, why you are abandoning me? <laughs> no, no, no. They, they genuinely thought this was a great opportunity. You know, Greece wasn't a great place, especially the island is not. At the time, it wasn't a great place for young people to to um, progress in their career, and and they were profits because the prophecy came true with the Greek uh, economy failing, you know, all sure, the rest yeah. of it. So. So I'm ever so grateful for them giving my uh, their blessing to me. Do you know what, as, as well though, you know, we we jokingly said at the the beginning of that kind of offer process that they, you know, we wouldn't have if you and I were in those situations. There's no way that we'd be no. hanging around waiting for this person who was kind of sounded like they were taking us for a ride. But in actual fact, that little piece of patience yeah. carries such a, a massive weight in uh in this kind of environment because it also demonstrates i suppose to you that these people are serious about me no that's absolutely and that's why i i, I committed to sorry university because they they showed me that a i should mellow down because at the time and i think i have in my older age i mellowed down and back then i was an executioner and i was a mercenary you know i was <laughs> I, I used to take no prisoners and it's what i teach my students as well i say to them look when you go and work out there it's a hard industry but if after a year you haven't been promoted move on you'll be promoted at the next hotel if you're working in london if you're working in the big cities 
it's so many opportunities out there. If you're good at what you do and you ask for more and don't ask for more expecting to get paid, just ask for more, learn. And that's your, your job is to keep on honing those knives. And those knives are your mind and your heart and your passion. And, um, and, and that's what I did. And, and I, you know, I like to preach what I do. Um, I don't always do what I preach, but I always say, do what I preach. Don't do, <laughs> don't do, do as I say, and don't do what yeah. I do. Um, but, I'm great, great at handing out advice. I just don't necessarily take my own advice. That's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I always, I say to my students, be critical and you know, use your critical thinking and always question everything, including what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> and and including of who I am, and always always question me, and always question my judgment and, and what I say to you, and I I say that to my kids as well. And yeah. and and, and I, I think it's it's key, isn't it, that you get you give the confidence to the uh, the next generation coming through. And I know that I'm at risk of sounding like my parents when I say that these sorts of things with those kind of words, but you know it's important that you've got to have the courage of your conviction. You're not always going to see eye to eye with people no it doesn't mean that they're right and you're wrong likewise it doesn't mean that you're right and they're wrong but you've at least have got to be you've got to have the confidence to engage in conversation with people about stuff absolutely absolutely and i think you know this serendipity is a beautiful word isn't it and the serendipitous occasions of from one get they're getting their adverts wrong uh, me, yeah. me stalling, but yet thinking really hard about it, and 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 the other thing they had to their advantage, which they didn't know, is of course my relationship with my wife is is at an early stage, and in the back of my head I'm thinking, you know, I want to give this a real shot. So, yeah, my wife was was going to to come to Greece because her parents had migrated from South Africa to Greece, so she's she's Greek South African, so it was all going to work out going to Greece. You know, there was no no doubt in my mind, but at I say there was no doubt in my mind, but there was this tiny doubt. Otherwise, I would not have sent the CV to Surrey and I wouldn't have come back. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose it's it's that old uh, age-old kind of the, the universe yeah. was uh, arranging everything yeah. and in line for you. Absolutely. So I cut my holiday short from, 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 uh, from Greece. I came and they said, you know what they said to me in the letter of, of when they offered me the job? I was freaking out because they said to me, make sure you bring your chef whites. And I'm like, right. my chef whites, damn, what do they want me to do? So I, when I was in Laos on the island, thank God, I had kept my mother, not me, bless her heart. She had kept my old chef whites from the college, from the hotel school. And I still had them with my name on them. So I tried to put them on. Uh oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, I hope I won't be too many hours in the kitchen because this I can't breathe in this thing. <laughs> I thought give me enough days to to try and buy some new chefs whites when I'm there. So, but luckily, yeah. luckily when I when I worked for the Lakeside, you know, early days I was working at the Lakeside restaurant of the of, the, of Surrey University, and um, and a, a great colleague of mine there lended me some of his whites, and and it was it was just fine. It was fine in the day, but uh, yeah. So I worked for Surrey for five years, and um, at that moment, an opportunity came where I realized, as a member of staff, as a lecturer, I could now do a PhD. Which uh, you know, I I I, I promised God. <laughs> I seriously, I I remember praying one day. It's like, dear God, let me pass this masters, and I promise you, I will never do another academic thing in my life. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and 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 God sent me a telegraph saying, "Hey, mate, you lied uh, because I uh, I had this opportunity to do a PhD, 
and they would pay the fees. And uh, and I and I remember talking to it with my wife and saying, you know, I've got this opportunity. What do you think? And she's like, well, are they paying the fees? I said yes. And little did she know that, of course, doing a PhD is not the fees is the least of your concerns. The time needed to invest in, yeah. into this thing and the energy and the you know everything that you have to put in it. So she said yes because she's an accountant and she thought in financial terms that this yeah. is a good. On the other side of this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, six. I was part time PhD whilst I was full time lecturer, and I, I can't remember seven years it took me to a lot of pain to do this right. PhD, and you know at nights. And I remember my, I remember like it was yesterday where I would go up the stairs uh, because we had a little flat that had two levels and I'd go and sit in the computer and, and, and I remember my daughter being a baby and saying, Dad, are you going upstairs again? We're not going to play. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, I'm a terrible father. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I, I promised uh, that if I ever finish this darn thing, all the weekends <laughs> are yours to, to manage however you like, unless I have to travel abroad. Um, it's your weekends, and you tell me what to do. And and to that day, I've I've tried to. Get, I do work long hours, but I in the weekends I I only work about five hours a Saturday or Sunday, only at times where they sleep. So very early in the morning, right, and very late at night. So, so that the time they're on, yeah, is your yeah. That's that's a promise I've kept to this day. So at least yeah. I can sleep okay as a father and as a husband. Just about that, not about everything else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Um, no, that's and I did a PhD. And if you asked me twenty years ago, would you be an academic and would you do a PhD? I, I, and I keep on saying this, I'd say you're crazy. You know, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not academic material. I remember you using the the phrase that you're you're an accidental academic. Yeah, yeah, and I still believe that, even though I I can't really say it anymore after twenty years in academia. You know, people yeah. people would laugh and say, "Come on, yes, you've been twenty years in academia." And I'd say, "No, the phrase accident." Yeah, that was one expensive accident. It was an expensive accident, <laughs> but also the term accidental academic in my head also means that I'm not your typical academic, you know, typical UK British academic in the terms of only focusing on research and research outputs and only being interested on getting those four star journal papers. And, and and progressing in my career that way. I was never interested in that. I was interested in, I love teaching, so I love the students. I love new projects and projects that were, have to do with industry. Uh, all my research is action research. I never do a piece of research that I cannot see the value that will find the value in, in industry. And, yeah. and, and with that, I'm a little bit of a rebel because it has costed my career. You know, other people would be professors at, at my age. I always forget I have an industry career as well. But in 20 years, maybe somebody else would have been a professor if they had published, if I had published more heavily into, you know, four-star journals and, and focused only on research projects that brought money to the university solely on, 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 from research councils, then I guess, I guess I would be a professor. I mean, right. I'm not far away. I mean, I'm director of the doctoral college. So that's, that's a little bit, you know, that's a one step, behind i guess or one step ahead from principal lecturer um so i'm, I'm yeah maybe maybe one day who knows but it's not you know it's not that interesting to me 
just a title. What's interesting to me is the work that I do and whether that work yeah. helps people. Is it, so is that like the principle then of a of a chef who just wants to get down and and you know cook the food that they like to cook and then all of a sudden one day someone comes along and says oh here your food's amazing here have a michelin star yeah yeah i think i think it's um the better analogy maybe would be gordon ramsay you know at some point in his life he's cooking food passionately and then later he realized he can make more money from writing books and and um, from being on tv and what have you so his restaurants um i don't know does he cook in them maybe Sometimes I have no idea, actually. Well, sorry, sorry, Gordon. You're just a symbol for all those chefs, and you know we can use Jamie Oliver as an example. We can, you know, there are some great celebrity chefs, but do they still go in their kitchen? They, I'm sure they go in their kitchens in their homes and cook, but in the restaurants, I don't know. And and I didn't want to be that kind of chef. I wanted to be the kind of chef that might get a Michelin star rating, but they're still in the restaurant, they're still in the kitchen, they're still working with their team, you know, and they're still whatever they they're happy to see the smile in the customer's face. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that to me is very important. And to me, it's very important that my students, not all of them, because no matter what you do, as you said before, people are people. So you will get uh, some people that don't appreciate what you do. You will get people that don't, don't agree with what you do. So as long yeah. as I get one or two or three every year that get it, that get what I try to do for them, that then become amazing professionals and I see their, their, and nowadays it's so easy to see on social media, their profile and how well they do. And if someday they say good morning to me, that's enough for me. Now, luckily I'm getting more than that. Luckily every year I've got amazing, amazing students who become amazing professionals. And in 20 years of a career in academia, you can imagine that some of my students are some high level positions and it's just a pleasure a pleasure to see my students do better than me because that's what fatherhood is isn't it fatherhood is your children to be better than you yeah spiritual fatherhood is when your students become better than you in their career and um, i can name numerous of my students who are better entrepreneurs better hoteliers better restaurateurs better everything than i i will ever be so I must have done something right. Brilliant. I mean, that, normally that would be a great place to to leave it be. Okay, bye. We've got so much more to talk about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, no, that's really lovely. And I think that that probably highlights as well that the kind of the age old nurture versus nature yeah. argument. You know, you, you are playing a, a, a fatherly role in these people's lives. It might not, you know, be... Uh, the the absolute way to define it, but no, you're, I, you're I, nurturing these people. Look, uh, a, a better way to define it is what I what I say to my students is you know uh, I, the fatherhood or if you like or the motherhood uh, level might happen at PhD level where you're working one on one with students. Okay, so when I supervise PhDs, I really believe that I'm a mentor or I'm meant to be a mentor. They're a mentee. Mm. I do believe it. In, in the level of undergraduate or, and even postgraduate, I think the better way to describe it is as a, as a guide, as a facilitator. I, I say to myself, I can take you, and that's my, my job is not to teach you knowledge. My job is to teach you how to gain knowledge. And I can take you to the fountain of knowledge. I'll bring you very close to it and I'll point to it. And some of you will just look at it and say, eh, can't be bothered. Other, others will 
say, I'm going to take a little sip out of it, and you'll put your hand in and take a little bit of water and drink, and others will swim in it. Right. And that's my job. If I'm a good guide and I brought you to the fountain of knowledge, I've done my job. Because if you, if what you want from me is to gain the knowledge, and, and yes, and I do research, and some of my knowledge I will impart on you, but you can read it in my books. You can read it in anyone else's books. You know, you don't need me to teach you. And knowledge changes every year, right? Yeah. And COVID taught us that knowledge of yesterday is the dead knowledge of tomorrow. So if you learn how to learn and be really good at it and, and be really a good critical thinker and you use both your creative mind and your critical mind, if I manage to make you really good at that, then I, I can call myself your sensei, right? <laughs> because that's what senseis do, right? They don't just yeah. teach you the moves. They teach you how to react. Good senseis teach you how to adapt, how to, you know, Bruce Lee was a good sensei, right? Because he took different forms, put them together and evolved them into a new form and, and told you, hey, it's not about the form. It's about you being a great and effective fighter. Yeah. And that's what's about it. The point there I think you, you make wonderfully is, and I suppose it has its heart set in the fact as well, that, that, that different people learn in different ways. So you've got somebody, and also that, 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 that desire to learn has to come from within. Mm. You can't force somebody to go learn. So you're taking somebody to the, to the fountain uh, of knowledge. You know, the ones that, that go and bathe themselves in, in this knowledge are, are the ones that I suppose are comfortable that they, they know how they learn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas maybe the other ones, maybe the, the other ones are just not interested in the subject. Yeah, it's not that. It's sometimes the pressures from 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 powerful others to you know you have to go and get a degree at a university. So you never know why they're there, and you never know yeah. the real reasons why they're there and why they're there for that course. You try to find out, and and some will open up, others will hide. So you know it's, it, it can be hard, and and I sympathize and empathize with with some of my students who don't want to be there. But I try to keep it fun. I try to keep it interactive. And I try even, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about everyone, no matter the reasons for being there. Because I feel if I give them those transferable skills, they can apply them to anything. If I give them the hospitality spirit, they can apply it not only in hospitality, but any industry you can think of. Yeah. yeah. And I, I say a restaurant is the greatest lab you will ever see because you you give me any industry from manufacturing you know think of the assembly line to the in the kitchen from mm. from pharmacy think of your herb garden from why well, service think of the weather in in the restaurant from retail think of the bar and the bottles of, of wine that you sell as in retail yeah. you give me any industry i will point to how a restaurant can be a great lab to teach others how to do it effectively and with a smile. Yeah. 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 But notwithstanding all of the extra life skills that you, Absolutely. you take in that, right? Absolutely. You know, reading people, yeah. psychology. It's it's the list is endless. I mean, do you have another two hours? We can talk about <laughs> <laughs> you told me you had to be away by half twelve. So. I know, and I'm looking at the it's like I'm sorry, I'm moving too slow. <laughs> No, oh, no, no, it's cool. I, I, I really find it fascinating, and and hopefully the people listening do as well. But to be honest, this is a it's an indulgent 
piece for me as well uh, at times. But I I find the whole way that people learn and the part that you would play in that really, really fascinating because I think back to my own uh, brief time as a as a, an academic student mm. um i only i did a three-year degree yeah and you know there were i just think back to there were some classes that i really engaged with and there were some classes that i was completely asleep and let me I, ask you was it the lecturer that made the difference yeah well this is the thing i i think a lot of the time it was exactly thank you because i remember there's a classic example and actually uh, one of my uh, fellow classmates i'm gonna i'm trying to get him on the show because he's now gone on to quite great things with um uh, Bannatine's health clubs yeah i used to fall asleep in the uh, the subject of economics <laughs> our lecturer was was not the way that i learned let's just put it that way and um and i remember getting to the uh, to the point of the exam maybe about two weeks out and really kind of panicking that i just did not have the knowledge yeah. in me yeah, yeah, to get through this exam and i remember my my classmate who obviously had retained the information he ran a little a two hour workshop in his flat basically for anybody that that didn't have it and i honestly in that two hours i walked away with such a clear mind yeah. as to how the the whole economic piece worked yeah that i just that i had massive confidence going into the exam as opposed to to just being yeah you know, in a panicked state of mind about it. And so that really highlights for me that it is all about the person who's teaching it it's, to it, you. It's about their, not just about their attitude and personality, it's also about how they contextualize knowledge into real-life examples so that it's simplified for them. If, a, mm. if an academic likes to use big words to make themselves sound smarter or more clever, you know, I say, well, I can do that easily because all the big words are Greek. You know, uh, <laughs> ontology, epistemology, panacea. You know, I can use these words, but I don't want to because yeah. because my students are going to look at me. You know, I, I use them for PhD students because they have to learn them but, and, and know how to explain them. But when I teach at undergraduate or postgraduate level, I, I try to keep it real. And 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 for me, for my own for my own well-being as well, because I, I'll go, you know, my mind is just going to go blind if I keep on talking like how some colleagues write in academia yeah. you know that's it's not the place to do that and the, and the great example for me of a great academic was in the same way that you suffered with economics i suffered with uh, accounting and finance right as a student and uh, there was this particular uh, teacher called mr prokos so he's listening and i hope he's still alive and well somewhere in the world and he came in the class and I became from a student who, who, who wanted to take any finance book and, and put it in a fireplace to a student that overnight, the way this guy taught, and it wasn't just me, everybody in the class said it, you know, it contextualized and we understood for the first time in our life, finance and accounting. And it was yeah. about his personality, his attitude, bringing industry experience into the classroom made all the difference. Yeah, you know. the funny thing about my finance and accounting lecturer that was actually a subject i engaged really quickly with yeah and i think it had a lot to do with the fact that we had one a, a really engaging and characterful lecturer but also he had the classic kind of nutty professor here yeah. <laughs> and he spoke with such animation 
that, that his hair was just constantly alive. It was, um, so there was this real comedy element where you couldn't help but just be fully engaged with what was going on on stage. And yeah. I suppose it, it's it comes down to I, I guess if you another analogy of performance. Yeah, I'm... it's about you having the ability to. What do my listeners want? What do my learners need? Rather than being indulgent and this is what I think Absolutely. they should be doing, it's, it's about the end objective, which is to get these these people through. But it's also, and you you know, this this performance level. Uh, you reminded me of, of Professor Andrew Lockwood, that he taught me early on as a student at masters uh, masters level. I remember him. I cannot remember what he was talking about. He in, in at the time for this particular session. But what this first time I ever meet him in a classroom, he comes in. He waits until everybody has sat down. He hasn't come in the room, so he's hiding somewhere. And he's, he then comes in from one end of the door, and at the very end of, of, of the other side of the room is this basket, right? This, this rubbish basket. And he takes his watch out, and he goes, time, what is time? And he throws his watch from the one side of the room, and he makes it in. I think he was as surprised as we were. <laughs> but, but, you know, he started the session with this one simple act, with the energy and the passion. And I remember that was like, oh my God, that is, you know, I don't remember the, I remember it was about something about time and time management. And then I was just reflecting on what he just did. It was just amazing. And of course I got to know him well. He was my supervisor for my master's and, and later on a great mentor when I was working for Surrey. And, and uh, you know, he, he taught me a lot, but one of the biggest things is about humor, passion, Making fun, making it memorable um, helps the students. Helps the students learn because then you yeah. get this affinity with that. Like next time, next time he will talk about a serious subject, you will listen in. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, what I, there was actually a question I was going to ask you was around you. Know, what do you think it 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 takes to become a, a successful lecturer? But I, I think you you've kind of covered it. Yeah, I mean, it's, you just the one thing I haven't covered is don't think you're you're. Let's use the word as panacea. <laughs> you're not you're not the cure for everyone. You you know you have to accept yeah. that no matter what you do and no matter how passionate you are with your work, you will still get those people. It's it's like Vegemite, right? Yeah. And and I've accepted that I'm like Vegemite. Now, luckily, and I looked at the student uh, satisfaction servers and what have you. I'm the kind of Vegemite that the very very minority might say, you know, he's too crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the vast majority uh, will take the learning in, and those who engage, I always give. I like to underpromise and overdeliver. Um, so if somebody engages, I give them even more. So, and I think those appreciate it, and those who truly want to learn, uh, I can, I do take them to the next level, and often enough, uh, they've come with me to the next level. So so I'm happy, yeah. and I sleep well at night. So well, actually, I don't sleep well at night, but not because of that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's another story. That's another story. Yeah, yeah, but that's probably a fact of life, though, isn't it? That you know, you you you've got to take that into your work life as well. That the the fact of the matter is, is that there's so many people out there in the world. You can't please everyone. No, no, um, absolutely. So you know, try the best you can, and 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 all of that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's that old. It's well, it's the horse to water or the be true you know, to the, be true. the fountain. Yeah. Um, scenario that it's got to come from Feel, within. Feel being true to yourself 
is 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 one of the most important lessons that I also tell my students because even yeah. even in hospitality, what do you do when a customer and they, they you know we don't teach that at uh, at module level at at uh, at a degree? Did anybody teach you how to negotiate contracts with the tour operators? Did anybody teach you what you're going to do when when uh, you go to big Americans and they they you can clearly see they're drunk and in your bar and you want to get them out? What skills are you going to use to? Because these are scenarios that came to me and happened to me and nobody told me at degree level how to deal with yeah. them right so and you know but if it, but you, you, could, you couldn't run a, a class on how, how to deal with that because it's it there's so many of these scenarios exactly it's too micro level so what kind of yeah. good lecturers do is is teach them the critical and reflective and the skills that you need to be able to deal with any scenario and be able to think hard and fast on your own two feet. Yeah. I do debates with my uh, students and uh, I, I just saw some feedback recently, like yesterday, actually. It's an it's an interim feedback for one of my modules and, and the feedback is is just just great, but I always go to the critical one because to me that's that the other bits where they say, this is my most favorite module of not just the year, but the whole three years. I mean, that, that makes me feel good. But yeah. I go to the feedback that is the negative one because I'm looking to see how can I improve, you know? Yeah. And uh, that, that's also a great uh, skill to teach people that, you know, don't don't take the negativity. Well, we talked about don't take it personally, right? Well, <laughs> I, I take it personally, but with myself, you know, yeah. I, it's still personal and I still get, oh, got it. I didn't think of that. Oh, got it. I didn't do that. But the reflection is a great skill and you use, yeah. use reflection to become better. And the moment you say you're good enough, you're dead. You know? Yeah, for sure. And, Couldn't agree more. And, I I also the I, I like the fact that you're kind of teaching people to debate because I think that that's actually such a a wonderful skill to have when you can debate eloquently but also not lose control of yourself. But that's um, that, and not be able to see the other perspective and, because that's a I mean that's a you can see examples of that in in parliament every day right yeah it's, um and that's, uh, that's not where we need to be looking for for leadership that's what on that, these elements that's what sank my heart a little bit because the comment was i don't know why yanis does this debate they have nothing to do with the assessment and uh, and of course they have to do with the assessment because critical skills then debating teaches you so many skills that you bring in and the assessment of this particular module is an exhibition uh, but even for those who have an alternative, they can choose an alternative report writing. The, you know, the critical, being able to critical analyze writings and deliver them uh, is both useful to, to the expo and the... But why my heart sank? Not because of the comment. It, it sank because I realized for that one student, I hadn't done enough to teach them what critical thinking is. Right. So that they can see that actually it's not just about the assessment, it's about all the learning objectives and it's about me becoming a better, not just manager, but the better hospitaler, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, and then I knew I failed with that one student and, and that, that hurts. But in reflection, now I know what to do better next time and how to, to put new activities in that clearly demonstrate what each activity does for what reason. Yeah. That's also another part of life. It's you know, except it's like it's like you said. Yeah. You know, it, the minute you think you've got it sorted is the minute that you that you stop. But you know what? Forward. 
most managers, what they do, a lot of managers do this. If you have the complainer in the in the team, yeah, they they, they stop listening. And, and and what I'm gonna say here for anybody listening, if you have a complainer in the team, the person that always complains, it's very easy to fall in the in the crying wolf scenario where you, you don't listen to them anymore. But these mm. people are precious to you because if they if they are a complainer, they're looking for things to complain. And if they're looking for things to complain, there are things to complain. So you use them. Okay, you can moderate them, but you can use those opportunities to find out what are the areas where I can improve to the point, improve to the point where I'm now struggling. The complainer is coming with things that are silly complaining. But even then, you know, there might be a little fire there you can put out. So please yeah. listen to your complainers. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, and you know, there were uh, more than a few conversations that I've had on on this platform. I've had with um, some really interesting leaders from uh, around the industry, and they all have this, exactly the same philosophy of the the. You've got to be comfortable with failure. Yeah, you know, you've got to be comfortable that that things are going to go wrong. It's what you then, as you say, you're then take the ability to think reflectively around what went wrong and why can or how can we stop that happening again or or whatever but that's the way you move forward that's the way that you continually improve that's the way that you evolve your service that's the way you evolve your leadership there's um, there's so many parts to it but i think that that's always a piece of advice that i i hand out willingly to people is is just don't berate people for doing things wrong. Yeah. If they do things wrong, the same things wrong consistently, then maybe you have to have a firmer conversation. But uh, but give people the the scope to go and learn, and you you get the best learning from failure. How how can you have success without failure? Fa- yeah. Failure is the cousin of cousin of success. We yeah. we focus on you know if you look at some of the most successful entrepreneurs, people don't realize for every successful entrepreneur they had so many failures before, but also there are so many failed entrepreneurs, and, yeah. and the same can be can be said for management. You know, so no, I totally agree. And the the key here is of course you fail you fail twice and you succeed thrice. That's the key. Very good. Yeah, yeah I like that. Hmm. And you made it rhyme as well. <laughs> Speaking of rights, yeah. oh, what a lovely, uh, what a lovely interjection that is. Um, you're currently now. This this probably is being aired in January, right? So as we as we discuss it, we're in the midst of Christmas. It's coming. It is the tenth tenth uh, of December today. Can we say that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah, it gives it context yeah, as to yeah, when it yeah. comes. So that's fine. You've been doing quite an interesting little thing on the side ah yes well i thought it was going to be little did, little did i know it wasn't going to be that little <laughs> <laughs> so talk us through what, what are you doing okay so i'm just checking to see uh you know hospitality action right they're amazing amazing people yeah. and and hospitality action you know, i've done a small campaign for them in the past with you know the november i i I did a Movember campaign once. and Anyway, I, I like their work and I try to support them whenever I can. But this year, I got an email from their CEO. And I think everybody who's in their database probably got this email that says, you know, this is a particularly hard year. Please help us. And um, I think somewhere either it had in the email or I read in my infinite <laughs> wisdom, uh, send us ideas for fundraising. Yeah. So I thought, wait a minute, Christmas is coming up. What if, and Hospitality Action has some amazing 
patrons in celebrity chefs and celebrity people said, what if they take a Christmas song and they do it and with the celebrities singing, you know, that might get a lot of traction. They might get a lot of, and, and I wrote this email to, to their fundraising team. And I said, look guys, you know, this is, this is, and within, within 10 minutes, I thought, oh, wait a minute, not just any song. Like they can do the 12 days of Christmas. And then within uh, 60 seconds, that was in my break, by the way, I, I thought, you know what? I'll write the lyrics for them just, just to get them started. And they can, they can make the lyrics better. In, in 10 minutes, I rewrote the lyrics to the 12 days of Christmas and made it the 12 days of hospitality Christmas. And, the, and, and I thought, you know, every line will have a different sector or different profession in hospitality and try to represent the beauty of our... And I tried to make it rhyme, yeah? And I sent them the 12 days of Christmas and I said, after the first email, within 10 minutes, I sent them another email saying, oh, and by the way, there is, a, there is a, an example of what you could do. And, and they reply back and say, this is a wonderful idea. Thank you so much, Made It Smile. But we are understaffed. We have a number of fundraising campaigns. You know, thank you. Thank you so much for thinking of us. But we cannot, we cannot do this. And me being me. <laughs> I, thought... I, get you, I get the feeling that you're, you're a seasoned storyteller because you've got, you've got a wonderful way of adding drama to... <laughs> At the end of a sentence <laughs> or the beginning of a sentence, um, the, the me being me. You know what's the, you know what's coming next, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I said I'll do it. <laughs> Thinking, or the original idea was very simple. I thought, you know, I, I made a hidden YouTube video, and I invited, I sent it to colleagues, and say, you you film yourself and send me a video of each line, and I'll put it together. I'll edit. I've got some basic editing skills. I'll edit it together and we'll do the... And each 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 uh, day of the 12 days of Christmas, I will release the next verse. So it will be on the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a hotel break for three. You know, small family for three. So... Yeah. And, and so, so it goes. You know it because I made you sing it when we met the first time. <laughs> and, yes, and you thought I was just speaking it out in the first time, just doing a spoken word version. Oh, you made me, you made me skip a bit there because yeah. I thought that was it. And, I, and you said, of course, that's not it. But <laughs> I was like... Get straight in my head. <laughs> and uh, But videos weren't coming in. And then I thought, hmm, maybe I overcomplicated things. So then I, I thought, anyway, the evolution was, and it, it is, that every day, starting the 13th of November, I'd go on live on a, on a Zoom link, and for half an hour we would sing uh, this song. And whoever wants to join can join, and then maybe we'll, we'll raise some money for hospitality action. And I post you know, some of the work every day. So if we filmed on the 3rd of November, the 1st of December, we would release what I filmed the day before, etc. Yeah. Give me a little bit yeah. of time to edit the video. And so it happened. And every day, and today we just filmed this morning the 11th day, Yesterday, we had, on the 10th day, the team from the Athenaeum Hotel came in and we were filming the 10th on the morning of the 9th. We released it this morning, uh, the 10th. Wonderful, wonderful bunch of people. And yeah. uh, the highest we ever had, 20 people in one go singing this song. Right. And of course, I made the mistake of announcing that today was going to be Kung Fu Day <laughs> because every every video is meant to be humorous. So I'm, I edit and I do stuff. And... Um, and today, of course, only uh, how many of us was there? There was only six of us. I scared the people off, which is fine. <laughs> and it was so funny. I killed a clown today. You'll watch the video tomorrow. I, I 
seriously, that was an accident. I apologize to all clowns who are listening. Oh, uh, I do not love the randomness. I, of yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but the clown is fine because I super glued him and he's fine. So for any clowns listening, it was not a real clown. No real clowns were harmed in the making of that video. Okay, uh, but I saw actually probably the given the uh, the movie it. I think there's a lot of people don't mind cow, uh, clowns. Yeah, clowns being being. Uh, being uh, dealt with in that way well i said i wasn't going to show that bit because it was quite embarrassing but that's what i said on the full video when i was filming it but of course me being me i put that bit in the video so you'll watch it tomorrow because i i, I like i like fun and i like a giggle and i like to take the fun and the piece out of me more than anything else um yeah I, I think it's one of the, the best characteristics you can have <laughs> as a human being. If you don't take yourself too seriously, then, yeah. you know, it, it's just a, I think it's a good mental state to be in. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I hope so, because it's, it's, it has saved me a, a few times. And humor is a great defense mechanism when you... Ah, uh, for sure. When, yeah. When you... I, I, well, I think you and I are kindred spirits, to ah, be honest. Brilliant. I, um, I told you I have a lot, a lot in common. You know, I, I feel as part Scottish, you know. Yeah, well, we've already established uh, the haggis and the bagpipe connection. Excellent. Um, and um, notwithstanding the fact that you obviously felt this calling to to do Scottish things in yeah. your first endeavour <laughs> in the UK. Indeed. indeed. Um, uh, and the fact that you can pronounce Ochterarder, which Ochterarder is... Um, and, uh, well, it took me... Um, yeah. It took me a lot of it, effort. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I, I salute everything that you're doing because, you know, you are... And I said this before we switched the microphone on, but you are—you're a character, and I—I'd love characters. Oh, okay. um, you bring a, a richness to to the work that you do. You clearly—you definitely give off the impression that you're living your best life, uh, which is which is wonderful. I'm on um, uh, the important thing to say is that we reached this morning. We reached over five hundred pounds, which was our target. Uh, and brilliant. And tomorrow. Uh, Tomorrow, last day tomorrow filming. I've invited a lot of people, and Phil, you're you're invited as well to come in if you want. Yeah, it's eight thirty, right? Eight thirty a.m. And uh, if you don't have the link, I'll send it to you. But uh, basically, tomorrow, what we'll try to do is celebrate the multicultural nature of hospitality. So, and I need somebody to say in Gaelic, "Merry Christmas" and the hotel break for three. So if you can. That's definitely not me. No, but, I, but I was going to Google the Gaelic version, so you need, ah. you need to do that and give it with the Scottish accent. And um, and if I don't have somebody from Wales, I'll do the Welsh and we'll find somebody who can do the Irish. Yes, please, I, please come. I would love to say that I can. I think I might be on a train. Well, join from a mobile phone, don't worry. <laughs> Be, uh, it'll be. A, I'll, I'll see what I can do. We have technology. It just depends on the internet connection, of yeah, course. I mean, and and we are very, you know. And when I did this thing, I was very forgiving. I said to people, "Come for two seconds. Come for one minute. Come for. I'll get you in the video. Don't worry, because I edit these videos and I, I make them into a short two-minute video. So it'll be wonderful to see you, even if it's just to wave your hand and say hello. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, no. That that's. I'm very pleased we reached our target. I'm very pleased that more than just the money we've promoted hospitality action and the great work to to numerous yeah. numerous colleagues and that and you've had a bit of fun lots of bit of fun we've been giggling every morning my neighbors think <laughs> i'm well my neighbors knew i was crazy but now they think i'm totally mental and they're probably calling the doctors uh, <laughs> so. 
Great stuff. I am conscious of time, but um, one question I love to ask everybody that, that comes on the show is that, uh, you know, what would you say to somebody who was considering a career in hospitality? I'd say if you, if you really love working with people, if you really love great food, if you really love a career that can take you into different countries, uh, and I'm talking from personal experience here, you know, uh, yep. then, then that is a great career for you. And, and don't listen to the non-believers. This career can take you into so many different ways. I've spoken to people who are in IT. Uh, I'm an, I started in industry, I became an academic. The consultants, I do a bit of consultancy quite often, and I love it because it keeps me alive in the, in the, in the industry. It's not just hotels, it's not just restaurants, there's just hostels, bars, nightclubs, cruise ships, trains. Uh, what, what's, that, what's that movie yeah, called? Video. Yeah, it's, we can go on and on forever, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I've, I've been quite vocal about this, this point that you could literally pick, pick any job that exists in pretty much any industry, and you can do it in hospitality. Absolutely. You know, even medical. You know, think about a time you're in a resort in the Maldives. These guys have resident doctors. Absolutely. You know, um, it's uh, and it's a very different beast to be a doctor in an environment like that than to be a, a, a GP down your your kind of local village in uh, in the UK yeah. you know you need all of these personal skills and you know as you said earlier on as well you get you get free meals and uniform and all of these extra wonderful little things that, that nobody ever talks about but um, don't look far look at the theme park you know like Disneyland and look at all the professions in there yeah you know, and they're all hospitality related yeah, absolutely. Well, the engineering even of, exactly. of roller coasters—it's uh, it's all high-level stuff. Yeah, great. What's um, what's the next year got in store for you? All going well? Well, this year I'm I'm this is my final year as chair of the Council for Hospitality Management and Education. So at least that, and I loved working with with my colleagues there, and we've done a number of projects. So I'm hoping I will I will save a little bit of time from that one, and I will probably concentrate more. I feel that my action research has like a bit behind. So my next, uh, my plan for the next year is to push really hard on research that really helps the industry. Because, and I'm working currently on a project that looks at best best practice and the idea of best practice between academics, what academics consider best practice in teaching and learning in in, in hospitality in higher education, and what industry believes. And uh, you know that's that's part of the plan to try and help as much as we can, not just the academics, but the industry people as well. Because, you know, before COVID, we were talking, and I mean, a number of different industry panels where I tried to help, and and we were talking about how we would get to fill all those gaps because of Brexit, you know, all these jobs. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and COVID happened, and then we were talking about how we're going to retain our talent. Mm. So I think academics, universities, colleges have a responsibility to retain the talent and promote, uh, you know, this is the second, depending on what you report, you reach second or third uh, biggest industry in this country. If uh, the government doesn't support us and protect us, well, they did for the banks. Why not for hospitality? Yeah, yeah. It's inexcusable, but it's also inexcusable for universities to drop the ball and say, you know what? I'm not going to invest into that particular subject area, and it has happened in a in a number of universities in the past two years. They have killed off 
teaching restaurants, hospitality courses. And to me, that is there is no excuse. You cannot, mm. as a non, not-for-profit organization, say we're not making enough profit and we're deleting this. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is hypocrisy of the highest degree. And, yeah. and, but I, you asked me, what do I do and what I'm going to do for the next year? So one is this. The other thing is, which I've been doing for this past year, is give back as much as I can. And I ask my fellow academics, and, and, I, and I've said that to, to, with another, uh, at another session that I have, that the least you can do is give every, you know, you don't, that doesn't have to be much. Every six months, give half an hour of your time back to your own students your own alumni. I'm not even saying to strangers and be a mentor, you know, where they can come and talk to you, make yourself available, more available than you have. And I know a lot of colleagues have been great at this, but I want, I'm pushing for even more availability and say to your students who are now managers and especially those who are in leadership positions because they had to learn very fast and, and protect and care for others but who cares for them who cares for the hotel general manager who cares for the for the restaurant owner you know and and give give them some time be a mentor listen don't be a coach because you need special training for that but you can be a mentor and you have the training for that and the same in the same way that i ask for my fellow academics to give their time and and volunteer their time to help industry colleagues is, and the reason why I say they're alumni is because their alumni also knows them as characters and they will be more trust, you know, they trust them more. For the industry colleagues, I say this, you must also volunteer your time. And how you can do this is, and a lot of you out there do it. For you, I ask every six months, give half an hour of your time, find a local college, find a local university, volunteer your time to go and talk to them and inspire them. Contextualize the theory. You can do this and most of you were students at the degree course and you remember that the guest speakers is probably the one thing you remember more fondly so be that guest speaker where you inspire others please let's retain the talent in this country very good well that's a an appropriate moment i think to wrap it up i think it's a wonderful way to end i've thoroughly enjoyed our chat today i I feel like it it was uh uh, an online lecture, actually, <laughs> in, a, in a good way. Oh no! Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> there's a lot of really interesting learning in there, and I, uh, I massively appreciate your your time, and also the fact that it it does really cements to me the 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 principle of that there's so many different directions that you can go off absolutely in this career. You're you know you're no less passionate about this industry. That's very clear than you were when you you started out all those years ago. And I'm just really grateful for you to come on and, and share your story. It is it is my pleasure. And, and you know, you talk about characters and I feel from the little that we spoke that, that you're an amazing character. And uh, and I and I hope this interview is not the end. I hope you'll stay in touch and I hope we, we uh, you know, we'll even just have a digital coffee or uh, eventually you know, maybe meet someday. <laughs> I think that's, that's written in the stars, that one. Excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Yanis. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. And there we have it. What a cracking story so far from Yanis, demonstrating that sometimes you can accidentally find what it is you were born to do. A massive thank you to Yanis for sharing his story with such intellect and humour. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm every Wednesday. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.